things like your health and your interpersonal relationships, those are the things that really do matter more than money because you can't buy them later on in life. Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Just a heads up, this episode is a conversation I had with my friend, uh, Lauren Hum. She is a super inspiring lettering artist and educator. And, uh, but we had, we had this conversation a few months ago. So it was before we knew about the pandemic and, you know, I contemplated, should I still release some of these episodes that, um, that were recorded before all this went down? And, Ultimately, I listened back to it and I thought, first of all, Lauren brings so many amazing tips. I can't rob you of the, the stuff that she brought to this episode. Second of all, I'm looking through my podcast app and every single podcast that's coming out right now is about the virus. And I found myself looking for something to escape all of this information um, as, a, as a way of entertaining and, and finding some normalcy in this time. And so I want to provide you with that. And then also the third reason I want to bring this to you is because it's an act of hope and faith that all this stuff is going to pass all this work that we're, we're doing right now and all these things we're thinking about and, and sharing tips and, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's an act of faith to say this might not be 
relevant to this particular second, um, but it is going to be relevant again. And all these ideas, you can let them soak into you now. You can take some action if you feel like you can muster it in this time on on making personal work and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, regardless, this stuff is going to come back into play and come back into action. And uh, releasing this episode is a, an act of hope and faith that this thing is going to pass. So ultimately, I feel so freaking pumped to share this conversation I had with my friend Lauren Hom. But before we get to that, I have a mini interview with my buddy and my agent, Ryan Appleton, and we have some huge news to share with you. Okay. Um, Ryan Appleton, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. <laughs> what are you doing here? We have a special announcement. Yes, we do. Why don't you do the freaking honors? Okay, I'm going to pull back the curtain, reveal the secret to the world. <laughs> yeah. You and I have started an agency together. We're business <laughs> partners. We're co-founders. Yeah, we did. We have a new venture called CoLoop. CoLoop. It's an right now. It is an artist management agency, but over time, it will be an umbrella for a few different endeavors that bring together artists for the greater good of them and the industry and and what have you. Is that about right? Absolutely. You and I have you know been talking for years. We have all this great alignment in our in our thoughts, our core values, what's important to us in the creative industry and beyond, and that's kind of um, what formalized and helped us construct this foundation of what CoLoop is, what this agency is being built on collaboration, community, and, and really diverse creative content from our, our group of artists. Yeah, that's right. I think, uh, it's no secret that it, you know, as a working creative, it's easy to get into complaining. And I think, uh, over the years, there's always, always frustrations with the industry, frustrations with, you know, the old, ways and sacred cows of what an artist management agency would be. And uh, I think recently we realized like those don't have to be complaints. We can take the whole James Murphy, you know, the best way to complain is to create something um, thing and create an agency. That's everything that we know it could be uh, and what it should be in this day and age. And that's where CoLoop was born. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to make a baseball reference, because I know you'll love that, build it and they will come. <laughs> yeah. Like, instead of daydreaming and or complaining or uh, wishing for what could be, let's build it ourselves. Absolutely. And although I'm not, a, I'm not an artist manager or agent, the reason why I wanted to go all in on this and be part of this new thing is because... To me, it's an extension of my personal core values, all the core values we talk about on Creative Pep Talk. And what I've found is, you know, over the years, my uh, my purpose and passion for helping creative people has, the, the first phase has been this show. And it's all about picking yourself, not waiting for somebody to allow you or give you permission to go do your creative journey. Uh, but I believe that everybody that's been on that path knows that at some point you're going to hit a ceiling where you can't go alone any longer. And the only thing that's going to break you through that is going together. And so I wanted to be a part of this embodiment of these core values of 
We're better together. We need each other. Uh, and, and ultimately, a rising tide raises all ships, which just means what's good for one illustrator or one designer is good for all of us, and we can share and help each other along the way. And that's what CO stands for. It's collaborative. It's collective. It's about going together. Absolutely. The, the entire name, the entire ethos of the agency um, and, the, and the creatives and everyone involved is, is really built on that idea of collaboration. The co-loop is that, that collaborative relationship formed between the artist, the agent, the client, uh, and the entire community as a whole. Absolutely. And so we, we have five episodes in the bag conversations that I've had with the other artists on the roster. And, uh, first of all, they're just great conversations because these people are living, breathing examples of these core values and full chocked full of creative wisdom. Uh, but then on top of that, they are, uh, just perfect examples of so many of the principles we talk about on the podcast. And we want this agency and these artists to be a living, breathing lesson of, of what it looks like to do these things in real time. And so we've got five episodes. They're going to be coming over the next, you know, uh, couple, every few weeks, you'll get another episode of an, a chat that I had with one of our artists. And on that note, I'll let you do the honors of, uh, dropping the, the list as it were. Thank you. I mean, I'll just be completely honest. This is the most exciting part for me, this yeah. unveiling of the roster, because like we've already said, this bringing together of, of all these like-minded artists and not only embodies Co-Loop, but it it kind of cements where we're, where we're taking this thing, what, that we're forward thinking, that we're really, we have our hearts in this. Um, and so we've already mentioned that you're a co-founder, but you're also yeah. a member of the core Co-Loop roster. Yes. Um, so in addition to yourself, we have... Lauren Hom. Yes, which is today's episode. Meg Lewis. Boo! Ade Hogue. We need like a uh, air horn. Beow, beow. Some sound effects. Add those in person. <laughs> Noah Camp. <laughs> and Yao Chang. I, like I said, I couldn't be more excited oh, by the group uh, who we're working with, uh, the, the team we brought together, all of that. Like, it's great. Every time I look at the rock, I made a Pinterest pin board. Uh, it's a collection of all of our work. And every time I look at this list of names, they're, they're friends. They're people that we've organically worked with and became friends with over the years. And we selected these people because of the way that they embody these values and, and embody their artistic voice. And, uh, I could not be more excited about sharing our conversations with these people. Um, yeah, it's just so amazing and exciting. Couldn't agree more. So uh, let's get to the episode. Uh, thanks for coming on here, man, and, and helping us kick this thing off. And I just want to publicly say thanks for... Uh, I feel like it's, it's kind of... Um, it's a crazy experiment to build something on your beliefs. And I feel like, especially when you're doing that with another person, it, it's some like, we're like, we're like, uh, it feels it's vulnerable to be like, what do you believe? What do we, we believe these things. Let's see what happens. And as we've stepped into it, I thought this'll be good. But every step along the way, even the early 
conversations and, and conversations with clients and, and some future artists that we'll reveal shortly. Teasing. Yeah. The, uh, every step we've taken on the back of and fueled by these beliefs has been so powerful. So I just want to thank you, man, for going on this journey with me. And likewise, I, I couldn't wish for a better person to help steer the ship. Right. And, and I agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly of, you know, we're putting ourselves out there presenting something that is a little bit bold, a little bit different to the world. Um, and, and we're confident in that, but it's still a little a bit of a scary thing. So I'm glad that you're here alongside me, that we have this group of artists that we've, we've brought on board as well. And we're all kind of championing this together. Just a heads up, there is some adult language in this episode. I feel like for me, there's this thing of uh, this, if I wanna grow in a certain way, I know I've got to get some FaceTime with a person like that. There's some kind of thing. Honestly, I became an illustrator the day in college where we had a full-time working illustrator show up and I was stood across from him and I was like, I'm like this person. You're real. I can do this. Yeah. There's just something, some kind of mental block that just lifts when you see this person's flesh and blood, like just like you and they do it. And I think the same goes for how much money you earn. When I met people that had just like destroyed how much money I earned, you know, made friends with people, all of a sudden you just instantly are like seeing opportunities. And it's not that simple, but there's a huge factor there for me. Oh, absolutely. I think it's my, my dad and I talk about this all the time. Like where you set the bar is usually based on what's around you as a kid, your parents, anyone in your life. And then you go to school um, and maybe you go to school in a bigger city and you see like, oh, people are making this much money and my parents make this much money. And you just get all that data coming in. And depending on, you know, your personality or your style, I remember my senior year ad class teacher came into class one day and it might have been the first class. This is a pretty ballsy move. He was like, if you guys play your cards right and you do well, um, you know, this year, get good jobs you know, in within the next five or 10 years and you climb your way up the agency ladder, you could be a freelance creative director making $2,500 a day. And us, you know, 20 years old at the time, our eyes were bugging out of our heads being like, isn't that like a month's salary? Like, <laughs> what is that? And now I know from being in the ad agency, that, in the ad world, that you can make, make way more money oh, than yeah. that. Yeah. And you know, this was back in 2012, maybe. But sure. But still, that even just knowing that raised the bar of like what was possible and seeing that's why it's so powerful, again, to be around or to even at the very least see online people who look like you or people whose stories you resonate with Yes, doing the things you want to do because it just shows you that it is possible. Yep, absolutely. And I like that you brought out, out this thing of representation and finding people like you. Although there's lots of people like me in many ways, um, which I'm sure there's maybe the over-representation. Good thing, no, but, there should be more artists of all shapes and sizes. No, it's fine. But for me, one thing that I've had to search a little bit for mm-hmm. is someone who is successful and ADHD. 
And yes. when I find those people, I consume everything they've ever made because it literally just lifts limiting beliefs, changes my perspective. And I see, I will listen, you know, it can be Sinbad who has ADHD. And when he's on a podcast, I have to listen to it because there's, I'm, I can just see myself in him. It's like, this is me. Oh my gosh, it, absolutely. Yes. That's such a, it's such a specific order too. It's like, being an artist, it's great to hear from all other artists, but when you find that person who, you know, shares that same storyline with you, so much more powerful. It really, I, I, I do the same thing too. I absorb everything because yeah. you're like, oh, you know, I came from the advertising world too. And so that person understands, there's an implicit understanding of what you're going through and their words have more weight yep. in a way. Um, not to say that other information isn't valuable, but you just connect with that person because you see yourself in that. Yes. When you're a people pleaser like I am, it's yeah. really hard to stomach the idea of not being liked or not mm. people not liking everything you make, even though it's easy to dish that advice and be like, yeah, of course, not everything, you know, not everything you make yeah. people are going to like. Um, but when you're on the receiving end of it, it feels terrible. But I, the best analogy I've come up with to deal with it in my life is I realized that I need to be more like cilantro. And I'll right. tell you what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so, Andy, do you like cilantro? Yes. Have you always liked cilantro? Yes. Okay. I used to hate it when I was younger. And then something happened in my mid-20s where it was delicious. But cilantro, very polarizing ingredient. Some yes. people, you know, will not get near it. Uh, my designer will not touch it. She will, like, will send back food uh, if it's on it. Actually, no, she won't. She's very, she's a people pleaser like me and she'll just push it to the side. <laughs> oh, that's um, so funny. But yeah, so I realized I need to be more like cilantro because even though some people hate cilantro with a burning passion and some people love it and put it on everything, it still shows up on shelves every day at the grocery store and is unapologetically there. Yeah. It's restocked every day. It shows up on your food. It's yes. in every restaurant pretty much. And I realized I need to have more of that kind of energy moving through my life because for some reason, you know, the analogies for me with food always land when I think about them. I'm like, oh, of course, it's like an ingredient. It's like a thing. It makes more sense when I'm thinking about, you know, and obviously cilantro doesn't have feelings. Right. I have feelings. but <laughs> Hey, it might have its own form of more, consciousness. Yeah, we don't know that yet. More cilantro energy for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. And, I, you know, I, I think it's interesting, too. I'm a big fan of diving deeper into analogies, other layers. One of the layers I've heard, like, there's something in your taste buds that can just trigger it reading as, like, soap. Yes. Right. Some people taste it as soap and some people taste it as like delicious. Right. And so that, and so I think there's even just this innate thing. There's, there was some guy on Twitter the other day who uh, tweeted at me and it was something like, you know, when I first started listening to your podcast, I thought you were super annoying, but now I like you. And I was like, please, <laughs> that's not that friendly. It's like a sick burn and a compliment. It's a weird, the and the compliment breath. isn't even that great. Like if he was like, now I'm a super fan, then I might have been like, okay. But starting with, you know, you you graded me and I and I hate you, and I'm not so passionately against you now. Um, and I just think that for me, or another example, I had a review on a, on something. And I thought, I'm going to, and it wasn't very nice. And I clicked through and I went and saw this person and I thought, I, you know, I'm not judging them. I'm just saying based on what I care about, what I want to do in the world, 
I would be upset if I was catering to this person. Like I, oh, it would, so good. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and so there's, the, I think it's good to remember like with the cilantro thing, first of all, there's just some people who you're, uh, you're going to go against the grain or, or really ruffle their palate in such a way, just in a, in innate yes. way that you can't change. And then there's a whole other group of people that if you were resonating with them, you would be disappointed in yourself. Like, you know what I mean? So I feel like there, there's tons of good stuff to take no, away No, that's, that's such a good point. And, you know, I on that note, too, I was going to say some people might, some people are born allergic to some foods. It's not yes, their choice. 100%. They're just allergic. Um, and, yeah, there's a, who is, I think it's a Dita Von Tees quote where she's, she said, you could be the juiciest peach on the tree and there are still going to be people who don't like peaches. Yeah, 100%. And it's, it's true. Um, but for those people who do like peaches you know, you're going to be a bestseller. And so you just have to find people who want to come to your tree. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Now I want to talk to you about what's going on in your life right now. Before we were talking uh, on the record, you said <laughs> some gotcha journalism. Um, Pull out no. like an iPhone, re- yeah. iPhone recording. This is what you said. Um, you, you were just talking about how in the last conversation we had on the podcast, uh, you had made this analogy about R- Mario Kart Ghost. Do you want to set that up and then also set up why that's kind of, you know, something that you've maybe shifted on or what have you? Absolutely. So yeah, this is what, back in mid-2017, we were having a great conversation um, on my podcast episode, and I used the analogy of, you know, not trying to compete with everyone else around you. You are competing against your Mario Kart ghost. You know, when you're playing single player, and then it has that ghost of your best time that you're trying to beat. I used to play so much of that, probably just as much as I did the regular game. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's really cool to be able to like trace your every move and see what you did wrong and miss that banana that one time. There's a good achiever thing in there where you're like, you know, able to track the data and be like, yeah, there's a, there's definitely a, a, you're, you probably have some achiever blood in you. Definitely. My boyfriend and I, our hypothesis is it's something about we're both the oldest children and there's Uh like a responsible, like can do oldest child attitude or something. Who knows? Yeah. But it can be really valuable to, go back and like run through the race again and make improvements to your game. Absolutely. And so I gave that advice, but you know, two years later, so midway through this year, 2019, uh, I found myself getting bitten in the butt mm-hmm. by that advice. And I was like, wait, do I give shitty advice to <laughs> all of Andy's audience like two years ago? Am I a huge hypocrite? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and so I can, I'll give you some context for that. Halfway through 2019, I, um, incorporated my business so now i'm home sweet home inc which doesn't have as good of a ring to it (laughs) and i was talking with my cpa and we were doing projections on what to pay me and my employee and all this stuff and i realized after that that i wasn't going to make as much money in 2019 as i did in 2018 Mm -hmm. and i started feeling bad about myself because of that and even though again easier to dish than to take Everyone says freelance is unpredictable. Everyone says when you're an entrepreneur, you're in for a rocky ride. Yep. I knew all these things. I had heard them a million times. I had like nodded my head along and it still felt really awful. Yep. And I started questioning that advice that I gave on your podcast. Yep. Um, but luckily, thanks to a close circle of family and friends, they talked me out of it. And I felt better. 
Yeah. And there's, <laughs> I think, uh, there's, man, there's so much stuff to go at with that because I think there's a ton of factors going on. Like mm. for instance, even I think let's just dive deep into the Mario Kart world. You know, uh, do you feel like this year was a more sustainable year for you mentally? And yeah. So, so this Mario Kart might have taken more pit stops and is going to run in future races that if you were in that same uh, pace from before, you wouldn't have been able to. Absolutely. Yeah. That was, that was the thing that uh, my boyfriend Tom pointed out and he was like, okay, like you're, you're looking at one very narrow metric of just money. And I think that things, I noticed that things like money, things like Instagram likes, follower count, numbers really mess with us because they're quantifiable. They're clear. Yeah. They seem very black and white. It's yes. like a pass or a fail, a yes or a no. And because you can see them, right? And then everyone else can see them. They're easy to measure. <laughs> Absolutely. Too, easy right? to measure. And, you know, Stefan and I talk about this on the podcast a lot. Numbers, it's just data. Like it's yep. it's not the you know, end all be all. It's just one data point um, that you should take into consideration, sure. but shouldn't own you. And Tom was like, yeah, you, yes, maybe you made like on paper less money than last year, but you worked less, you hired an employee, like you have streamlined your business in ways that you hadn't before in 2018, where you were burning at a pretty unsustainable pace. And I think that rings true for a lot of people, uh, freelancers, entrepreneurs, in the first, you know, five to seven years, you are grinding yeah. for sure. And oh, like, yeah. I'm a big fan of the self-care, like go slow, you know, nicisms that are around the internet. I love that. And I share them and I believe in them myself. Yeah. But I will say, I was actually talking with Jessica Hish about this when we first met that like, you know, she moved to California after being in New York and she's much chiller there. She has, she, she likes her life there, but I wouldn't have what I have and she wouldn't have what she has had we not like grinded it out in New York for six or seven years. Yeah. And it's just a part of the story. It's part of my story. It doesn't mean you have to, but um, I think that the pressure we put on ourselves, being ambitious and then also being around other creatives or just following other creatives online kind of fans the flames of burning at a faster rate than you can really sustain. And I've been, I've been reading a lot of things that talk about this. It's easiest to do in your 20s. It is easier to burn and grind in your 20s because you have the physical yeah. capacity to do it and the emotional capacity because most likely you don't have as many responsibilities. You don't have the weight of the world on you. You have maybe you don't have a mortgage yet. You maybe you don't have a partner yet. You know, things just haven't quite settled in. It doesn't mean you can't do it after, you know, you, you turn 30, but it was easy to grind when I was 23 yeah. for sure. Yep, absolutely. I, I also think it's really interesting I love that point about numbers, especially for mm -hmm. achievers, just realizing that um, it's really easy to grade uh, your performance based on things that you can count, but things like how happy were you? How rested were you? You know, what were you at a sustainable pace? All those things are not things that are actually quantifiable, but you can check in with yourself about those things. Yes, and yeah. sometimes you need another creative or another person who cares about you to hold up the mirror and remind you that those things are also important to track. And so that made me feel better. And I realized I was using too narrow of a view, but the things about qualitative, um, you know, things in your life, like your health and your personal relationships, those things you don't often see the like 
benefits of that compound interest and taking care of those things until yeah. much later on. And I think that that's, I know I was talking with someone the other day, uh, like one of my dad's friends about, he was like, why aren't people your age like saving as much or doing as much financial planning? And I was like, well, one, I think over overall, we don't have as much money. Yeah. And then two, it's easy from the outside looking in for, you know, someone who's older to judge a 22 year old for buying that $12 mimosa versus putting that into their IRA. (laughs) But I think that at that age, you just can't see how that $12 is going to grow. You just, Mm -hmm. you can't see it. And with numbers, you see them in front of you. They're very clear. And yeah, I've been reading a lot about how things like your health and your interpersonal relationships, those are the things that really do matter more than money because you can't buy them later on in life. Yeah. There's no amount of success. And I heard a really good quote the other day that like really got to me where it was like, for ambitious people in particular, success is only sweet when you have people to share the good news with. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you're alone and have no one to be like, hey, this awesome thing happened. Like, let's go out for like and celebrate. Um, Or, you know, someone to call and be like, I can't wait to tell you about this. It really means nothing without those connections. Okay, so let's talk about Mm Kolub. I haven't, this will be, I don't know if this will be the first time I talk about it on the show, but it's the first time I've recorded anything about it. So yeah, uh, my agent, Ryan Appleton and I started a new agency to represent designers and illustrators, as well as a whole mess of other things. It's kind of an umbrella um, company for creative things, and you are on the roster. Woo! <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if that's it. how I told you? <laughs> <laughs> like we hadn't even asked you if you wanted to be. It was like, and you're on. It's like a Maury show. You are on <laughs> the roster. Come here and yeah. <laughs> come here yeah. and meet your new agent. <laughs> that would have been ridiculous. Oh um, my goodness! But yeah, you're, and, and the reason I think that's a segue is. Uh, one of the things, like basically we started this agency to be a totally different kind of agency. Ryan and I had talked years ago about all of our ideas around how agencies needed to evolve and how different, uh, the needs of artists are. And, you know, one of the things primarily for me and why my relationship to him has been so good is that he's an extended team member. And it's really about relationship. And the whole co and co-loop is about collaboration and and cooperation and uh, working together. And for me, one of the greatest things is if something great happened in my career, I would call my wife and we'd be like, yeah, and let's never talk about this to anybody (laughs) because people hate when you bring up like, guess what's cool in my life? But having that extended team member and then even the kind of, agency we're trying to set up all these artists as some kind of extended team that can celebrate these wins and have those relationships. Yeah, You need people in your corner. Yes. You need people who understand you and have a fully formed picture of you. This relates to what we were talking about on the record (laughs) before this (laughs) about, um, you know, when you're on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and you see these statements that are, you know, they're usually zippy, punchy, like one-liners that seem kind of black and white, you're getting such a narrow snapshot of what that person is about and what their whole message is. But it's so valuable to have, to invest in those relationships, to get vulnerable with people, to let them in, to have someone to talk to about those things who have a fully formed idea 
of who you are and all the nuances within you and who can truly celebrate those things with you. And also like comfort you in your time of, you know, deep insecurity or unknowingness. (laughs) Um, I think it's really, that's been honestly one of the most valuable things in my career is having such supportive friends and family. Yeah. And, uh, so Man, I could have taken that 17 ways, but I'm going to choose a path now. Okay, here it is. Um, (laughs) So for for me, Co-Loop is about like, I I don't know if we've really talked about this, but the re I'm not an agent, but the, yeah, I don't know. I hate to tell you that part. Are you out now? (sighs) Is that a deal breaker? I mean, you've been lying to me this whole time. (laughs) I thought. I'm an artist. I. (laughs) Don't know if you saw these pictures around here. I made those. If the jig is up. Um, but the reason I wanted to be involved in creating this agency is, uh, you know, with the podcast, I feel like I can help empower individuals to empower themselves. And that can do a lot of great things. But I feel like I kept getting to a place where uh, you can only take yourself so far. And there comes a time where you can do so much more and better things when you're doing them together with other people, with other skill sets. And, you know, one of our core values is about this idea of a a rising tide raises all ships. And I think that we want to be part of this industry in such a way where we're lifting each other up, both the, the people on the roster, but also just the people in the community. I want to change, we want to change, um, some of the scarcity and backbiting and all, all that stuff that happens in our industry. Um, how, what's your experience with this and what, how does that hit you? I mean, have you thought much about that topic of, have you experienced some of that? What's your, take it from any angle. I don't okay. care, but I'm just wondering. Ways. Yeah. So I just, <laughs> you know, I feel like um, you're very collaborative in what you do online in terms of how much you support other artists. Uh, Thank you. Right. And you, you're out there constantly helping people learn your skills and, and you've given them a leg up. And, and I, and I think that that actually goes contradictory to what's kind of been the case in the design world in the illustration world. I feel like there's a lot of competitiveness and kind of, keeping your industry secrets and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like you have done pretty much the opposite of that. (laughs) And I wonder if you could just speak to your experience with that and why that seems like a core belief of yours. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've been fortunate where, you know, I did sidestep the advertising industry world pretty quickly. I was only at my job for nine months maybe. Uh, And I've been fortunate where... I haven't personally experienced a lot of, you know, you know, creatives withholding information or going behind my back. I do be, I do see true though with my students and just what I thought too going into advertising and also into lettering and illustration is there's this very overarching narrative that it's hard, only a few people are going to make it, like yeah. which then sets the stage for ultra competitive, like gotta guard my shit. Um, you know, it's, it's gotta be me. Like if it's, if it's someone else, like that's, if someone else is succeeding, that's my spot. Yeah. And that's not necessarily good. And I also think that that mentality was espoused by, you know, some of my older professors and they're not wrong based on the world they grew up in. And now with the internet, 
you and I both know that there are, you know, a bajillion ways to reach people now and you can really niche down. And I think it's a good thing. Uh, But yeah, I don't, I think it's just in my personality when I played softball in middle school, I did win the best sportsmanship award. (laughs) (laughs) I love cheering people on and I never really knew that was a skill. It was just part of my personality. I will say too, it's worked in my favor that I wanted to be in advertising and not in lettering or illustration because I had no expectations. I had no, I didn't really have a bar set for myself because I was playing in a different field. Yeah. And when I was like, oh, I don't really like this field. I'm going to go over here. I didn't really know what to expect. I knew I liked the kind of work coming out of the lettering world. And from the outside looking in, it seemed like, you know, Jessica Hish and Darren Booth had like cool lives. And I just liked the work they were making. Um, and so coming in without all that Baggage. weight, yeah, the, yeah, without the refrigerator on my yeah. back of filled with yeah. rotten, spoiled ideas of yeah. what the illustration world was supposed to be like. Expired ideas, yeah, yes, in the fridge. Exactly. I came in and things started working with my advertising background, applying that to my lettering work and marketing myself. Um, that started working and... Because I, on the inside, knew I wasn't doing anything like groundbreaking or like proprietary per se. Sure. I was just a person who was combining ideas with what with my lettering work. Um, yeah. You know, things that people could relate to, things about my own life and experiences. And maybe because I knew it was so simple, um, the ingredients were simple per se. I had no problem sharing that uh, because... Yeah. Yeah, kind of to bring it back to food, like if I made something and my friend asked for the recipe, I would totally give her the recipe and vice versa. I've asked so many friends, like, what was that? That was delicious. Please send me the recipe. And it's really the recipe that is the most important to share. Mm. People have access to pretty much the same ingredients, um, you know, creatively and within themselves. But stringing it together is where it gets tricky. And uh, I really like being able to tell people how I did it. Because I also know that by me telling other people how I did it, there's no guarantee that it's going to work for them either. No. Just like a recipe, someone could have a gas stove, someone could have an electric stove, someone could be measuring, um, you Someone know, could be at different altitudes. Altitudes. Right? Oh my gosh, altitudes yeah. really screw See? with your baking. Yeah. It's, yeah, different humidity. Oh, so many different variables. But I think it was just in my nature. I don't know. I never really thought about protecting anything because going into the lettering world, I didn't have anything to protect in my mind. Yeah. And that ended up serving me well, whereas I totally understand, you know, it's not great, but if someone for the last decade has heard that, like, you have to, like, claw tooth and nail for illustration jobs, um, you're going to come into the arena with a little bit of a protected you know, kind of stance. I want to take this a slightly different direction. Yeah, let's do it. So um, (laughs) I I wonder if, so another one of the core values that we've been throwing around with CoLoop is about this, you know, grounded on artistic voice rather than on a medium. So just this Mm. idea, the people that are on the roster uh, you know, Ryan and I had spent a lot of time thinking and talking about this. And one of the things that's really important to us is there's this clear sense of voice to the degree that it can uh, manifest in all kinds of different arenas. And so for me, you know, people 
here that I'll do talks about my illustration or design. But to me, that's talks are just another medium for my artistic voice. Podcasts are the same. Instagram's the same. Mm-hmm. It, and I think that um, because that's the the essence of great work is getting in touch with who am I, what do I want to say, then you can kind of roll with trends changing, mediums changing, lo, you know, location changing. And I wonder if one of the reasons why you were, and I'm ex- the question is about whether you think this is true and, mm-hmm. and, and what have you, but um, starting in advertising where there's, it's a lot about messaging, copywriting, you know, uh, your marketing, what you're saying, showing up to lettering. Cause I always think about, you know, I'm sorry, this is such a huge premise for the question, but, <laughs> um, but this idea that like one, one thing I notice is like, yeah, like, um, every letterer has to learn how to talk per se. Like you have to learn the skills and the, all that stuff, but the people that break out don't just talk, they say something. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like you kind of came in with a weird advantage because you would probably, I'm guessing I'm, you know, educate me about this, but from the advertising side, I'm thinking the message is at it. Is this true? Is there anything to what I'm talking about? Or yes. Am I just an idiot? No, you are not an idiot. I mean, yes, you are an idiot, <laughs> yes, but so am thank I. Thank you. I oh was my gosh. so happy you I am said a that. raging idiot. <laughs> Me too. That's for sure. <laughs> um, yes, you are. You would be correct. Um, and yeah, for anyone who's listening who feels like the path that they're on right now might not be the right one and they're considering switching paths... Anything that you're doing now is not a waste. Like advertising set me up. It set me up to do well in lettering and it wasn't the intention. Advertising was supposed to be my career, but I took the bits and pieces that I did like and that, you know, that that worked for me in my training and brought it into a different arena and it kind of worked there. Um, So for me, yeah, the way that my career took off was I was applying these very advertising-esque like formats to my lettering so I would my like breakout project in 2012 uh daily dishonesty I had an idea to letter the little white lies that my girlfriends and I in college would tell ourselves yeah and that could have easily just been one piece I could have lettered something that said I'll be there in five minutes yeah (laughs) easy great great piece too cool but because my brain was primed to think in series and campaigns um and to think, I guess to think in campaigns where an ad campaign is pretty much like a mini branded project. And so yeah. that's how my lettering manifested itself into these little little campaigns. So something like Daily Dishonesty ended up being a series of 200 pieces that I was consistently publishing to my Tumblr blog. Um, Tumblr. Tumblr. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, and that was something that, again, the unintentional side effect of publishing work to a blog consistently is that you're going to grow a following or be known for something or it just teaches you discipline. Um, but that combination of all those things started, you know, that combination of all those things were brought into my lettering work and those kinds of projects, I did it over and over again. It was kind of rinse and repeat that way of thinking of lettering projects in particular was what helped my career take off. And I had seen, you know, I don't take credit for, any of this. I had seen other designers talk about side projects. Jessica Hish had the daily drop cap thing. And I had heard of other designers who were making their own projects. And that just seemed natural to me too, because I was also coming out of school where I was doing that kind of work where we were making up projects to do. And I think there's this misconception too, 
that once you are not a student, you can't make your own stuff anymore. Yeah. Um, or makeup projects, but you totally can. Yes. It's amazing. It's, it's honestly a better creative exercise. It is, I will say now that I'm six and a half years into this, there are times where it's liberating to have parameters and have a brief from someone else. Yeah. But there's nothing stopping you from, you know, instead of sitting down to a blank page and being like, ah, like having an existential crisis of, Mm -hmm. I want to draw, but I don't know what to draw. You can do the legwork ahead of time to set up your own brief and your own parameters to guide your bowling ball of a self to the pins of a finished product. Absolutely. (laughs) Did you just picture me as a bowling ball? Yeah, I did. It was weird. Um, It was fantastic. Very trippy. Uh, yeah, I had the exact same experience. I don't think we'd ever talked about, uh, the indie rock coloring book ever tell you about that. I know you did that, but we yeah. never talked about Long it. Time. I'm mm-hmm. not going to go super into it. They've, Do it. They've heard it a billion <laughs> times, but that was a college project. And it, and actually I've worked this into, um, my Skillshare class of, it was a huge thing to say, what's your dream project? write out that brief like someone gave it to you and then how can you just do it on your own like mm-hmm. that's literally the the and the whole details of that brief were given to me by what I was hoping to get and turned into that project end up being a published book and all that stuff um i loved what you said about nothing's wasted because uh when i've worked with creative people in the past that's one of the things that I get every single time is I really want to be an illustrator, but unfortunately I'm an architect or I really, I've had people wah, that wah. Yeah, I, know. I can build a house <laughs> or, <laughs> or I can people, design a house. Yeah. Like, the, the, and I, I could, the list goes on. Like I'm a doctor, but I want to, you know, all these things. And I think, um, you know, I grew up in a house and my dad was always telling me about like, he's always trying to get me to like lean into the season I'm in is and have faith with it like don't don't um even if you can't understand how this might apply so he like out of school worked at hardy's and he was a manager and he was really a finance guy and so he hated it he was just like Mm. oh my gosh i am not a manager and Mm -hmm. it ended up all those managerial skills end up making him a different type of finance guy that gave an advantage Mm -hmm. later and i think the same goes for um you know, wherever you're at, if whether you're switching from advertising to design or whatever, I always, people will always tell me, I've got these two options or I've got these two things going the on. The fork in the road. I, it's the fork in the road. And I always say, there are no forks in the road. They're always, like creativity is combinatorial. It's always about, if you want to be the, if you want to be the one that stands out, combine your unique ingredients and make something no one has ever made. And if it's tough to do that, realize that tough work is the creative work. That's why it's tough. It's like the get, you know, get muddy and get yeah. Absolutely. And you know, it I know it's frustrating sometimes thinking that everything has that will ever be made has been made right. and like you couldn't possibly have a new thing to contribute. Yeah. But new stuff is being made all the time and you it's really that combination of making something um that is authentic to you and it kind of sticking at the right moment too. Yep. Like I don't like what was I going to, oh, my, I had a friend who asked me, like, I think we might have talked about this on my last episode. Yeah. Had I done Daily Dishonesty today versus seven years ago, the outcome would probably be pretty different. Who knows? I have sure. no yep. idea. Um, and so I liked, I liked what you said, though. I think in one episode I listened to, maybe in ours, about, like, you just got to keep shooting your shot. Oh, I use the analogy of uh, you have as many at-bats at the yeah. plate in baseball and you use lottery tickets, yep. I think. Yep. If someone told you you could go to the store right now and just 
get as many lottery tickets as you wanted, 10 a day, yeah. you'd probably go get a couple a day. Yes, yeah. And, and you that's, know, yeah. That comes from uh, Mark Brickey's podcast. I'm, I'm not, I don't have any... I don't have a lot to say about it, only because I'm not a regular listener, but my buddy uh, Tad Carpenter was on it, and I listened to that episode, and I never forgot the lottery analogy. Is that, that To me, every project, every piece of work is like another lottery ticket, and if yeah. you can make one a day... You would take it. Yeah. And there's usually the thing that's stopping us is ourselves. one of the best at Instagram that I know. So I'm always <laughs> trying to learn from you. Thank and you. And I think also Instagram changes all the time. I've noticed a bunch of changes um, mm-hmm. recently. What's the freshest uh, like stuff that you've got to offer me and other people about how to do Instagram well? You know what's wild is I just thought about this. I was like, even if this episode airs like in a month, yeah. it could be different. 100%. Oh, man, which is why, you know, I thank you. I didn't think I was a person who was good at social media because, like, as a kid who aspires to that. Of course you are. It didn't even exist when I was younger. Um, But what I've seen time and time again is being good at social media, people who, you know, the first person who comes to mind, Adam JK, who was also, who came up on Tumblr like I did, Mm -hmm. has a huge Instagram following. And it's not because he's good at both platforms. He's just good at being himself. Yeah, he's got the voice. And so I would say it goes back to kind of like what you were saying about finding that voice, Um, doing the work, and you're going to do a lot of bad work around this at first, but doing the work to figure out what it is that feels good for you to make that there also seems to be market demand for. Because if you're trying to make it a business... You do have to consider that. If you're just trying to make art for fun, fuck it. Doesn't matter. Do it. But if you're trying to make a business out of it, like the majority of people who follow me are and probably who follow you um, or just make any kind of income from it, you have to consider that. My number one fresh out of the oven Instagram tip. Oh, man. You I mean, even brought it to food again. You know what's funny fresh is out of the oven. I feel like I've been really bad at Instagram lately. Really? So thank you. Good. All perspective, right? <laughs> Yeah, the the big secret is I'm actually secretly exactly what you described, trying to guard my secrets. I'm just trying to pass as a generous person. No. (laughs) Honestly, because the algorithm changes and Instagram has free reign to change whatever they want all the time, I don't think too much about the strategies. I double down on what you said about how can I make work that is interesting and funny and authentic to me and my friends and just do that. Yep. And... If anything, too, I was commenting to my designer the other day, I kind of wish I could trim down my following. There was a way if I could lose 50,000 followers who weren't engaging with my posts or just hadn't been on Instagram or whatnot, I think my engagement would be higher if I had yeah. a smaller account. Like, right. It's one of those unfortunate things where I understand why it's done this way. The bigger your account grows, the lower your engagement gets, mm-hmm. percentage-wise. Right. And it's really disheartening. And there's a yeah. weird period that a lot of creatives go through where you're like, but I'm making my best stuff ever. Why is it tanking compared yeah. to like what it was a year ago? It's not your fault. And I think for, you know, emotional self-care when it comes to social media, remember it's out of your control. Um, yep. All that's within your control is the kind of work that you're making and choosing to publish. Yep. So for me, I don't have any like super juicy tips because I know what's happened with other social media platforms. I know they're not forever. I think that 
a lot of us operate, myself included sometimes, operate as if Instagram is like the social media that's, that's going to be forever. Honestly, my <laughs> my Instagram strategy has been to get as many people from my Instagram following somewhere else. Yeah, this is <laughs> fantastic. Because, you know, yeah, you know, email marketing, you're st- it's still a noisy space. Um, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there, but like you and I are both doing those things. I think being able to reach people off of Instagram is important. And even yeah. if you have 500 followers, start doing that now because you really never, it's out of our hands. All yeah. that's within our hands is the kind of stuff that we make and the intention we put into our work and our confidence or to put it out there. Um, yeah, I really think it doubles down on that voice. Aesthetic is a part of that. Um, one quick tip that I give to my students who are like really mind fucking themselves yeah. with Instagram of yeah. like wanting to have the perfect feed or wanting things to be cohesive. If you haven't figured out your voice yet, which is you know, it's not a moment where you just wake up one day and you figure You're out done. your voice. Yeah. yeah. And it's also, it's always changing too. Totally. That's the thing. Like the Hopefully. same way that kind of bringing it full circle, the advice I gave 2017 wasn't applicable to me in 2019. Yes. It doesn't mean it's garbage advice. No. It just means different oh, seasons. Different season. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my palate might have changed. One, and it does. I yeah. Can, I can actually bring that back to food, food again. Food again. Duh. Boom. When I went vegetarian seven or eight years ago, I at first was like, how am I ever going to live without meat? Um, you know, vegetables taste bad. Yeah. <laughs> your palate adjusts yeah. as your diet adjusts. It's your body is so flexible. It's wild. Yes. And so I just have a different palate now. And yep. yeah. Um, ooh, where did I go with that? Okay. Going to catch up with myself. <laughs> um, Instagram. Oh. Yes, quick tip. If you haven't found your voice yet and you're feeling insecure about that and you feel like your Instagram feed is all over the place, the easiest thing you can do is just for the next, you could do it monthly, you could do it every six months, pick a color palette that you're going to work within and just make work in that color palette and then swap it up or something. Yeah. It'll make your feed when really the only time someone looks at your feed, um, I rarely look at people's feeds. I just look at my news feed. I don't look at their, yeah. their profile. Is like the first 12 posts, maybe yes. maybe 20 if they do one scroll. Yeah. And so as long as that looks cohesive, that's fine. Um, 100%. I think that there's more, more effort should be put into things that are going to yield you more reward. And so by letting your perfectionism take over and obsessing over how your page looks and that's what's stopping you from producing your work, I would say pick a color palette and just go for it because that stuff in the long run doesn't matter. The thing about Instagram that I only recently, which is kind of wild, had the realization about is, okay, I might spend five to eight hours concepting, drawing, writing the caption, posting it, and then refreshing a couple times to see how it's doing. Like, that's a significant, it's almost a full work day. It's a big investment. I might do that to make one piece. And after about a week, it's out of the algorithm. It's gone. Whereas something like a Google search or Pinterest or being featured on a design blog is forever. That stuff is circulating all the time. And it's not that Instagram isn't valuable. It is wildly valuable. A lot of artists hang out there. Um, Don't let it rule your life. I find that that. like, don't worry, I'm not perfect either. I fall into that, you know that black hole of despair sometimes. Um, It is really just a tool for you to share your work. Um, And then other than that, so much of what brings us 
sorrow about Instagram is out of our hands yep. and isn't a direct reflection of how good we are at what we do. Um, I honestly, I find this too, because a lot of my students and a lot of artists in general are introverted. I happen to be extroverted. Yeah. I, I'm an, like an introverted extrovert. Like, I do love being sure. alone. Like I love chatting. I love being in front of people. But I also spend the majority of my day alone yep. doing my work. And so, well, now I have an employee, so it's just me and Crystal. But yeah. still pretty pretty chill. Yep. Um, the thing about social media is the people who tend to be good at social media are the people who aren't afraid to put themselves out there and maybe do have a natural disposition to, to share. share. Yeah. And if you don't have that innately, it doesn't mean you can't be good at social media. You just have to talk about what you know. Yeah. The easiest thing you can do too is, maybe this is another little mini tip, if you just talk about the stuff you like and incorporate that into your work, that will do leaps and bounds more than trying to make the kind of work that you think is going to attract yeah. uh, work. I wanted to share a story that someone that you and I have both mentored actually, Josh. Yeah. Um, Josh Ryan, I make things. Uh-huh. He He's great. Recently, so he started that project. I think he made one of you and one of me, the popsicles. Cool. Yeah, cool. Cool, cool pop. Cool pop does, art. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So he makes <laughs> popsicle versions you know, of... They have like SpongeBob and Spider-Man popsicles at the... Yeah, it's like that. With the two like black M&Ms for the eyes yeah. that are like kind of drippy by the end. Yeah. Um, he started doing... And he has like a weekly theme, which is very smart. Uh-huh. And he did one. Do you watch the show, uh, I Think You Should Leave? Yeah, I freaked out about it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So funny. So yeah. weird. It's one of my all-time favorites. And when he did this series, I was flipping. Same. Yeah. And so I, Josh is one of my students. Um, you know, we're, we're internet pals now. And I didn't – but I, how would I have known he liked that show had he not made a series yes. of cool pop art? about that show and I saw that he did one of like Bart Harley Jarvis the yes. baby <laughs> for those of you Die. who have no idea what we're talking about I'm so sorry he did one of Bart Harley Jarvis and I was like oh Josh likes that show my boyfriend Tom and I are obsessed with that show and hopefully actually that this will air after this I saw Josh liked it and in the back of my mind I had already been primed because I had been trying to find a Christmas present for Tom and luckily, this is going to air after this. And in that moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, I should commission an illustration from Josh of something from I Think You Should Leave. Yeah. And so Tom and I, our favorite thing to do around the house is sing that song, uh, The Bones Are Their Money. <laughs> I love that oh skit so gosh. much. Oh, my gosh. You already said that. Yeah. Oh, bones bones Are Their Money. Oh, <laughs> he man. said, give me something spooky. Oh, I love <laughs> it. Anyways, I ended it's up commissioning... It's my favorite thing, by the way, so I'm glad we're okay. talking about this anyway. I ended up commissioning an illustration of me as a skeleton pulling Tom's hair up, but not out, <laughs> with a with lettering that says the bones are their money from Josh. Oh my gosh, and that's amazing. I guarantee you I would not have asked Josh... I probably would have just done, done it myself. Yeah. But had I not seen that Josh also was into that show, I would never have hired him, not at any fault of his... I just didn't know. And I yeah. think that's one one life tip or general tip. It does apply to Instagram is people don't know unless you tell them. Yes. People 100%. don't know about your new podcast episode unless you tell them. You can't assume that people are going to find you. You have to get the word out there. And one tip, it's like a kind of Instagram-y business tip that I've tried to apply to my own life in 2019 and hopefully moving forward is... When you get that creeping feeling of, am I being annoying? Am I self-promoting too much? Are people going to think I'm a narcissist? 
when you get that feeling after posting a couple times or a couple stories, that's the indicator that you're doing the bare minimum. Yeah, 100%. And when I use that formula in my own life, it helps me get past that block of only posting once about my online class and then yeah. being like, why am I getting no sales? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so good, man. There were so many good things there. I wanted to just speak to, highlight um, this idea of like, owning what you like this goes back to this thing of it's not so much like artists get very hung up on how they're doing it so it's the style Mm -hmm. how it looks how it feels we get very hung up on aesthetic but what you say what you're talking about determines so much of how the roles that you get you know i think about um can't remember the actor what his name is he's he's a judge on the masked singer he was in knocked up but he was an actual doctor okay oh ken jong yes Ah, yes he's so good but think about it he's a doctor and how many times does he get cast as a doctor why because they know that about him it's something to it it keeps him top of mind. Oh, there's a doctor role. Who should we have who's a comedian? Who would be good as a doctor? He was a doctor. It's right? easy, yeah, it's easy to hire someone with the skill set who also has the baked in knowledge and experience of that interest or that specific niche. I actually just brought this up with someone else yeah. on our roster um, mm-hmm. or about someone else on our roster, speaking of Co-Loop. Yeah. Uh, Ade yes. just did this beautiful mural for this gym in Chicago. I think it was Chicago at least. I could be wrong. And I got into the office and I was talking with Crystal, my designer, and I was like, did you see Ade's mural? It's so good. And she was like, yeah, it's amazing. We are big Ade fans, of course. Me too, obviously. And I had a thought and I was like, oh, of course Ade is going to be top of mind for a mural at a gym because Ade is the fittest designer that I know. I watch Ade's stories and... I feel like I'm burning calories watching Ade's stories. Honestly, I told Ryan this. I said one of the, I mean, it was a shoe in anyway, but one of the deciding factors for Ade is his exercising. (laughs) And the reason is, (laughs) is because it is, there's a, uh, we talked early on, we talked about it about about being artistic voice first mm-hmm. and then it manifests in all these different ways and you've got to give people something to sink their teeth in something some kind of pen to put in you to like who is that person oh yeah he's the exercise person and when the exercise projects come up they will think of you i am doing kids books right now on dreams and pizza why i never shut up about them so when those come across the editor's desk or the art director's desk I am top of mind. A hundred percent. I said the same thing the other day in my Instagram stories. It's no coincidence that like 25% of the editorial work that I do is food. Right. Exactly. I've done so many food covers. It's like a weird amount of food covers. And it's because when an art director has a project, guess who's Who top of mind? Food? <laughs> and, you, and the thing I hear a lot too is like, oh, well, everyone likes food. So like that can't possibly be my ownable niche. Right. It totally can if you give it your own spin. Like, I like food, but I'm pretty weird about food. I'm quirky plus food plus snarky plus all these other things about me that make it different. I'm not like a gourmand, you know, who's talking about wine pairings. I can't even pronounce the wines. I love that auto exercising was one of the big things. It was because I just thought I have a sense of who he is. Like, I, that's super important. Every person on the roster, I thought, I need to, even if I'm not super close to them right now, I need a sense of who they are. If I don't have a sense of who they are, art directors don't, 
buyers don't, clients don't, nobody knows what to hire them for. And if you don't have, and I love the other thing you said that I thought was so good. And this, I talk about when you're thinking about your niche, you're thinking about what makes you stand out within your market. Don't think about it like, uh, well, I like food and that's one thing. Think about it as a combo. It's the sum of the parts is you might like food, but you also like roller derby. I don't know how it's the combination of all these things that makes you unique and has that unique voice. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I mean, I could talk about how I think since the last time we spoke, yeah, maybe since the last time we spoke, Yeah. my love of food, but also my weird ass personality and like, um, you know, being feminist all manifested itself into a phallic food blog, yeah. Peen Cuisine, for <laughs> anyone who's interested interested in. Yeah. And that is not normal. If that you couldn't you couldn't have just made that based off of I like food. That's a perfect example. Yes. And like this could be a whole other conversation about, yeah, I mean that felt scary to make, but also exciting. Yeah. I actually have been really moving into 2020, and I've had a, sprinkles of it this year. I'm very interested in exploring the idea or exploring the feeling of fear and excitement because I heard a really good analogy, I don't, in some podcast, I'm sure, about how we think about fear as just this blanket negative. Mm -hmm. But fear, when you think about it, people pay to be scared. We go to haunted houses, Mm -hmm. we watch scary movies, we go on roller coasters. And so if you can just reframe fear as just a form of excitement, it makes it a whole lot easier. Oh yeah. Because excitement, you think about like, yay, we're going to Disneyland. It's the same thing, just packaged up slightly differently. And things that feel exciting, but also a little dangerous are the kind of things that I want to do. Absolutely. I keep thinking about myself, you know, a decade ago and being very afraid and nervous about how things are going to work out. And I keep wanting to go back and be like, that feeling, that fear that's the stakes. That's what makes this not boring. Everything else you're doing, and if you will see it as excitement, you can dig into this and lean into all that stuff instead of like retreating away every time you feel afraid. Because every time, if you're not feeling afraid, I'm almost sure that you're going to be bored. Yeah. Like that, that's hand in hand. Yes. That is like the that. interesting crux about being a creative, especially as a business, is oscillating between those extremes of like being terrified and then being bored to death. It's a just back and forth. <laughs> it's totally true. Yeah. Honestly, that is some kind of pendulum mm-hmm. that is very difficult for artists. I think those two feelings are such a common occurrence on the creative path. Mm-hmm. You're either feeling out of your depths and petrified or you're feeling like, oh my gosh, get me out of here. And just push, I was reading about, uh, uh, everybody knows this, I take forever to read books. It's a problem. But Jim Henson's biography, uh, and and he fought for years. So like first half of the book is all about getting the Muppet show on TV. He'd already had Sesame Street, a bunch of other stuff, but he really wanted this show because he thought this is for grownups and kids and nobody understands it. And they get the first season and they get some traction and he instantly is ready to move on <laughs> to movies. And I, my heart like broke as I read it because I was like, oh my God. Because watching him, you're like, dude, slow down. Like, you, like you've been desperate for this for years and years and you mm-hmm. got it. Like just dig in for a minute. And he's just instantly on. And I feel like I can so relate to that to, to my own detriment sometimes of like, 
All right, time to move on to the next thing. Let's go to the next thing. I think it's because it's it, it ties back to that you know old adage, the grass is always greener. When you're striving for something, you put it on a pedestal. Yeah. And once you get there, you it's almost like... You know, when you're, oh, wow, this is a weird analogy. This is not typical of me. Okay. It's not food? It's like, no, it's not food. It's okay. a nightclub. I hate nightclubs. Right. I used to work at a nightclub yeah. in college. Oof. Yeah. Okay. It's like when you're waiting in line, the long-ass line in the middle of winter to get into the nightclub in New York City, of uh-huh. course. Right. <laughs> and you finally get in and you're like, this isn't what I expected. Yeah. This is fine. Yeah. Like, it's cool for maybe like 30 minutes. And then yeah. you're like... It's kind of loud in here, and like I think I want to go home. But the anticipation <laughs> yeah. of getting inside is really exciting. Yes. Especially when you've got a couple friends inside, and you're like, no, uh-huh. no, no, I know people inside. Let me in. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I and it's just, you know, I realized, I heard I heard something in a, oh, I read a book yesterday, or listened listened to a book. Uh-huh. Um, I don't read a lot. I listen to a lot of audio books. Yeah. Uh, by this guy named Scott Galloway. It's called The Algebra of Happiness. Quick read, really good. Yep. Uh, he was talking about how nothing is ever as bad as it seems and nothing is ever as good as it seems. Mm-hmm. And we romanticize things and we like blow things out in our minds of like, that was an epic failure when in reality it's just a blip on your timeline. Yeah. And I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> no, it's, I, but, I get it. Yeah, I mean, what I realized is everything normalizes and everything is relative and if you had told me 10 years ago that this is what I'd be doing and this is what I would get to wake up and go to work and do and speak and this is what my life would be like I wouldn't have any context for that or have believed it yeah and five years ago though if you had told me that I'd be stoked because five years ago I was just starting out and I'd be like if I could peek in and be like wow that's what I'm gonna be doing awesome yeah But at the same time, um, wow, I keep brain farting here. No, it's all good. Mm, Oh, yes. So five years ago, if you had told me that, it would have sounded great. And I'm not saying that this isn't great. But now that I'm here um, and I don't know anything else but this, and I'm sure in five years from now, I'll look back and be like, that was a thing that I did. Or I'll be at the next level or on a different path. Not even even as levels, but I might have just veered a different direction. um, That would make me more uniquely me. Yes. But... Yeah, now that I'm here, it's it does feel nor it, it feels normal. It doesn't feel as exciting as I thought it would have felt. Um, it's cool, like like the nightclub. It's cool for a little bit, and like we were saying on the record before this, you know, once you're there and once you finally found your footing and you're not struggling to get seen, you're booking jobs, which are good things, and yeah. you're excited. It the pendulum swings, and you're like, I'm out of the struggle, and now I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> It's really messed up and it it's not an easy up. path no. because it's a lot of mental gymnastics and yeah, like you talking with yourself, which is why it's so helpful to have a community, even a small True. community yeah. you can bounce stuff off of. Even just for anyone who's been in therapy, one of the best things about therapy is just being able to talk at somebody yeah. and get it out of your mouth and yep. out of your brain, out of your mouth and into the world. Yep. Super, super liberating. And I think that's, again, the tricky part about being creative is it's... The pendulum, right? I feel like we could do a whole series on the pendulums that we go back and forth between. And the thing that saves me over and over again is me realizing that the stuff that I'm in control of and the stuff that I'm not in control of, and then having people to talk to. Yeah, people to talk to. Humans need humans.
huge thanks to Lauren Hom for uh, sharing all this wisdom that she shared on this episode, but also that she shares through her Instagram and her classes. Uh, she is such a model of abundance mindset and and uh, giving back to the community, and and she's a fountain of creative wisdom. And I'm so glad we got to do another episode with her. I'm sure it won't be the last. Huge thanks to Ryan Appleton for coming on the show and shouting out CoLoop. You can go check out CoLoop on Instagram at CoLoopCo. Uh, and it's also on the web at co-loop.co. You can go watch a video that we put together that is um, makes me tear up because of um, the people in it and, and the ideas in it. Huge thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for providing our soundtrack, the Creative Pep Talk soundtrack. You can go find it on Apple Music and Spotify. Thanks to all of you for listening. I hope that this episode and this podcast is a beacon of light and hope in your creative practice in these dark times. We love you. We support you. And until next week, do whatever it takes to stay pepped up. <laughs>